Hello and welcome back to the Talking Leadership TV podcast series. Our guest today is Avery Michelson. He's an entrepreneur with a passion for the environment and applying market-based solutions to the world's problems. This led him to found Ucapture, a green tech platform that harnesses the power of consumers to reduce our greenhouse emissions and combat climate change. Before becoming an entrepreneur, he held various roles in the insurance-linked securities and reinsurance markets, focusing on longevity and mortality risks. In 2016, he launched Longitude Solutions, a transition-oriented consultant in the longevity risk market. He remains active and dedicated to both of his companies as each brings an innovative approach to addressing a long-term societal problem. You capture dealing with climate change and Longitude Solutions dealing with longevity risk. I really enjoyed today's podcast, particularly the focus on digital nomads. Thank you for joining me on the podcast, but enough from me. I'll hand over to Avery. Avery, thank you for joining me on the podcast, mate. Can I ask where we're recording this from? Where are you at the moment? Um, in Istanbul, Turkey today, um, having the opportunity to live here for one month. It's a fantastic city. Um, massive there's uh, over 20 million people here and, and a few thousand years of very interesting culture uh, so i'm really happy to be here in istanbul yeah fantastic um one of the things that I, I do want to talk to you about is this concept of the nomad in a career and it, it fits into this large discussion around leadership but before we get to that i'd, I'd like if you can for you to give my either listeners or those that are watching that will be watching the podcast, a bit of a sense of what you do uh, with your work on a, on a daily, if you can, Matt. Yeah. Um, well, I started my career working in investment banking in New York. So um, at my roots, I'm a finance person. Um, but that uh, background in finance and actually a passion for climate change um, and solving some of the world's largest problems led me to founding a green tech company um, called Ucapture. And it's an interesting opportunity that uh, takes um, some of the concepts of, of economics and tries to apply them to the, to the issue of climate change. Because um, my feeling is that climate change is actually an economics problem. Um, we have a, a decent understanding of the science of what's been causing climate change. Uh, what we don't know how to do is solve it from an economics and, and finance perspective. Um, how do we actually implement the solutions that we're going to need to move towards a carbon neutral world uh, and, and one that is you know, more sustainable for the future? And so I've tried to apply um, some of the concepts of finance and economics and, and markets-based uh, theory towards uh, the, the challenge of climate change. Yeah, that, that's um, amazingly interesting on a couple of fronts for myself is that when you said some of the world's big problems, I think they're the wicked problems when you're talking about engaging on climate change. And um, often, I think, um, often, and I'll talk about myself here, is what you see in the media is the political discussion around climate change. It's never properly couched as both an environmental, an economic and a social uh, concern. That, that I know that it's passe now to talk about the triple bottom line, but what you're talking about kind of, kind of hits those buttons in that 
if the science, if if you can agree or disagree, and this is not the podcast to do this, but you're talking about the science, I think that's one of the debates that still rages. And the other one is around, well, how do we mitigate and adapt? And I think that's where that finance um, economics view of the world, which I, I, I claim no expertise in, and, and you have that expertise that, that that's a fruitful um, area to be playing in. And where I'm going with this is that uh, leaders in corporates and the normal corporate world are catching on to that this is multi-layered. It's um, you're playing in a complex space, and I guess that's maybe one of the things that intrigued you about the area. Am I am I missing the mark there, Avery? No, I think that's that's exactly right. Um, what what I find is uh, there's a bit of a disconnect between people's desire to solve this challenge and their willingness to to do the tough things that it might require or to actually open their wallets um and you know and and solve the problem financially um one of the the points that i often say is uh, you may have seen when you check out on a plane flight there's the box that says would you like to make your plane flight carbon neutral um and the it's interesting that actually the uptake on that the, the percentage of people that select to make their pl- flight carbon neutral is less than one percent um, so there's really you know very few people are taking that option which um, i think that's perhaps because well maybe you've just bought a plane flight that was a few hundred dollars and and so you're feeling a bit poor um, so you know an extra five to ten dollars right then is, is not an extra expense you're looking to incur um, perhaps it's also because there's this thought that I alone, my $10 isn't going to solve uh, the, the challenge of climate change. It's not going to, on its own, change the world. So why should I be the only one taxing myself? But against that, uh, over 70% of people report that they are concerned or very concerned about climate change. And so really there's a, a disconnect between um, you know, that desire and perhaps even ability to pay, you know, um, the concept of, of being carbon neutral as an individual might even be a luxury concept. It's, um, you know, something that uh, it, it helps your consciousness and, and helps you feel uh, okay as a consumer in, in this modern era. But uh, it's also a, a challenge to reach that when, you know, budgets are thin and, and not everyone is able to afford that concept of being carbon neutral yeah that's a, it's an interesting um context in which you work and it's interesting that you move between um cities to do what you do and um if i can be so selfish as to bring it to the leadership topic is in your travels given the um areas and industries where you've worked how how are you in your own mind defining leadership? Now I know that this isn't something that most people think of on a regular basis. I happen to be one of those um, uh, leadership tragics that actually thinks about this on a regular. So from a tragic asking someone who might not be thinking about it all the time, but I'm definitely keen to get your perspective, mate. What how are you defining leadership? And I know I shouldn't do this, but let me add uh, a little extra. Do you think your definition has changed over time? Yeah, well, that, it's a it's a great question, um, and and certainly multi layered. 
Um, to, to answer that last part, yeah, my, my vision of that has changed or certainly in practice how I've tried to approach the concept of leadership has, has changed and morphed. I've needed to evolve because I think there's a couple of um, opposing things that a good leader uh, needs to be able to do and accomplish that kind of sit at, at opposite sides of the spectrum. Leadership at its core is you know, the ability to inspire and influence and guide individuals or groups towards a common vision, a common goal. Um, but it's not just about holding the title you know, and saying I'm the CEO or saying I'm the leader of this group. It's it's what impact you're able to have on the team, right? And and how you're able to get that collective moving in the right direction, not just being, uh, you know, the individual. Leadership is leading the other people, right? And and getting getting a group to do more. So the the things that you need to balance is is an empathy of uh, of you know, understanding your people and and understanding the human aspect of of teams that you work on, but also having some decisiveness uh, and ability to make decisions and you know and set the set the direction. So taking in other people's opinions and then being able to as well make the decision sometimes is is what the the leader needs. Um, as as an entrepreneur and and working on you know, in small companies and startup companies, it's required having the vision, right? Having the the idea of what it is that we need to do, um, and and maybe that's a, a you know grand vision, something large, grandiose. You're trying to change the world. You're trying to um, influence uh, you know major outcomes, or at least with with my companies, I'm trying to work on big projects, big concepts. Um, so having a, a big vision, but also then being able to execute on that vision, because it's it's no use to to have a big vision if you can't put that into practice. And so the execution part gets very much into the minutia, right? Into the to the day to day, um, and and staying uh, you know task oriented and and helping um, break down a very big problem into smaller bite sized chunks. Um, so, you know, that vision and execution are, are kind of, uh, you know, at, at, at odds with each other sometimes. And, and then I think, you know, the third thing that is, um, you know, some on, on kind of opposite ends of the spectrum is a leader needs to have confidence in his abilities and confidence in that vision, confidence in where you're going and to, to communicate and demonstrate that. So, Others can rally around that and and feel inspired or feel that uh, the the project that they're working on is going to succeed. Um, but also having a, a strong dose of humility too um, to understand your own personal limitations, understand the need to delegate things to others on your team, and and trust that. Uh, the smart people around you are going to be able to accomplish the things that you task to them. Um, you know, I, we we hear this term micromanage a lot, uh, and I think you know that's that's something that maybe earlier in my process as an entrepreneur and a leader, I might have done a bit too much micromanaging or 
not enough delegation of things. And I, as I've um, grown or, or gained some more experience in this, uh, I've tried to take on a greater ability to trust in the others around me, trust that they do good work, um, delegate things and, and make sure that I'm working on, you know, the highest value things that I can. Um, so, you know, in the end, I think leadership's then about fostering that growth of the team and, and in yourself, uh, and creating an environment where the people around you feel empowered and, and valued and aligned with that purpose. Um, because you, you can't solve if you have a big vision and you have something that you're trying to, um, you know, take forward, you're not going to be able to do it on your on your own. And so you do need to lead and inspire a team around you towards that vision, um, and and not just uh, think that you alone can can be the person that that solves all of the problems. That's an excellent uh, definition, and it goes quite deep into what your thinking is around it. Look, I'm gonna. Um, mix up the order of, of the, the themes that we were going to talk about here and get into the idea of what's the delineation, if any, between a founder slash um, entrepreneur versus a traditional leader slash, you know, CEO type deal. Do you see yourself as some mix of those? Are you naturally one over the other? And was there a point, I guess, where it clicked for you that you're, that you work best as X and not Y, even though you understand the value of all of those. So where do you sit on that spectrum as it were? Yeah. Um, well, I'm, I, I'd say I'm an entrepreneur for sure, because, uh, you know, entrepreneurship is identifying opportunities and, and taking risks uh, and having that vision, right. Uh, you know, having the idea. So um, I, I will give myself credit on what I think having um, some interesting ideas. Certainly others have, have at least stroked my ego enough and told me uh, that's a fantastic idea. Um, so the entrepreneurship side is, is I think, focused on the vision uh, of things, whereas uh, the, the leadership side is a bit focused on that execution concept that I was mentioning before. And so um, to be successful in this, again, you need to have both. You need to have vision, you need to have execution. So um, you need to be an entrepreneur and a leader to turn that vision into reality. And, and so the, success, the successful entrepreneur is a successful leader and, and vice versa. You, you, you know, at least in, in a small or startup um, thing, you, you need to have a, a blend of those two. And, and it's that, you know, that blend that's driving the innovation and success, um, at least, you know, for myself and, and the companies that I'm working on. And so where I've, uh, you know, where I've morphed is, is trying to focus less on uh, the big thinking things and, and just that vision, and then uh, actually turning that vision into reality by inspiring the people around me towards that and communicating that vision and breaking it down into, um, you know, into what can we do today and this week and this month? Um, because, you know, one of the, the funny idioms that, you know, I have is how do you eat an elephant, right? One bite at a time, right? You, you know, you, you can't, uh, you can't accomplish this huge 
thing in in you know just just a day or expect it to all happen um you know overnight and so that's something that um perhaps i struggled with early on was expecting the success to come uh quickly because this is a fantastic vision and and everyone will will see that and rally around that really quickly but um to be able to communicate that in a way that um you know others un understand and others rally around and and to take in uh other people's ideas about that vision right realize that maybe that vision that you had up front needs to needs to morph just a little bit to find that success and to find the fit in the market and that um your own ideas um you know can't can't always be the gospel that taking in other people's ideas on that and being adaptable and and humble enough to to realize where other people's good ideas can shape and influence that vision or the direction of the company as well um has been important yeah it's it's an amazing oh, you, you you and the entrepreneurs that i've spoken to at least because this has only been my experience of it is you're an amazing bunch of people in that um you you have the the, the big vision thinking and then at some point you either have to make a concerted effort to cut the cord and let someone run this beast that you've created so you can either expand it with the big thinking or move on to something else or you get into the weeds of it yourself and i think that is 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 common amongst entrepreneurs at some point you have to make that call whether it's a small startup or as it starts to grow to what extent Will you will you remain with your entrepreneur's hat on, and not get stuck in the weeds of actually running the business? Because un unfortunately, maybe that's not the right word, but I can't for the life of me find the right word here. Is um, as this this um, project uh, and the vehicle to get to your vision or, or, or multiple visions, as it were, um, you need to get some people on the ground doing the doing of getting there. And as as you said eating that elephant in small chunks. Now, how much do you sit at that table to do it? I don't know. I don't know what the formula is, but it's interesting that in the conversations I've had, you get to that point at some stage. Or for some of the entrepreneurs I've spoken to, they knew early on they were never going to be the details people, one, because they didn't have the skill sets, or two, it was the worst thing in the world that they could think of doing and they'd rather farm it out to someone else to do it. Now that to me suggests a high level of trust in the people you've got. So everything that you've said in the conversation so far leads me to think that, yeah, if, if in, in that entrepreneurial space, at least if, if I'm not talking out of school here, that building a team, developing a trust between you and them to achieve what you want to achieve is uber important. Otherwise you're not going to get, to where you need to get to. Um, I, I think I've understood what you said. Now, as, as a curious bystander, outsider looking in, do you ever have uh, a point of clarity as an entrepreneur when you've gone, right, I think this is as far as I can go with this project, but I've got some ideas for the mother, um, some others, bang, I'm out. Are you, are you constantly being bombarded with ideas or are you happy to develop the one that's been the most successful i've never actually asked that so yeah if you can share your thinking that'd be great sure yeah well i i am working currently on on two different companies and projects 
um, that I have a passion for both of them. As I mentioned at the top, uh, I like to think about some of the world's biggest problems. And I, I think I'm very fortunate to be working on what I would define as the two biggest problems facing humanity. I already introduced the topic of, of climate change, and that I think everyone understands is you know a huge problem facing the world and something that um, we need to try to work on rapidly, but also over a long period of time. Um, the other one is, is also an interesting one. It's the topic of longevity risk, um, which is that to, to define, we have uh, populations are aging. We know that, um, you know, the, the, the percentage of the population that is heading into retirement is growing and life expectancies are also increasing um, pretty dramatically. And so the world is going to face this challenge and already is facing this challenge of how are we going to support the elderly in that retirement, um, many of whom haven't sufficiently saved for, for retirement or haven't saved for a retirement that is now a good bit longer than they might have expected. Um, life expectancies, you know, when when retirement and pension systems and retirement ages were being defined uh, was around 75 years. So retiring at 60 or 65 would have led towards a 10 or 15 year uh, retirement window. And most of the savings and, and you know, pension systems have been set up with those assumptions. Um, but now we're seeing that people are living into their early 80s and, and many are you know, into their 90s. And so the world is facing this challenge of how can we provide stable retirement income and, and not see uh, you know, all of, a large percentage of the population becoming destitute because of running out of their savings, because at the end, all that will do was push the problem back to the taxpayer, push it back to the younger generation. And we have this challenge of intergenerational wealth transfer, um, big, you know, big word there, but, or big, you know, uh, words, but it, it's really the concept of, you know, the, the wealth being, or that, that, problem, that liability being pushed back to the younger generation, because uh, the the folks that are now retiring uh, hadn't budgeted for this longer life expectancy that they're faced with. Um, so that's the, the two challenges that I'm working on is, is climate change and solving the concept of longevity risk, um, both of which uh, I'm using a markets-based approach and, and some of the concepts, uh, you know, that I learned in finance and, and the finance world. Um, but where the, the commonality of these two things is they're, you know, they're, they're the enormous ocean liner that takes a very long time to turn. And so we have to keep working on these problems steadily and steadily and implementing, um, you know, somewhat dramatically different systems that, that have this end vision of a carbon neutral world in, in 2050 uh, or secure retirement um, savings for, you know, for a, an aging population and, and the hundreds of millions of people that are soon to exit the working world and, and start drawing on these pensions. Um, and so they're, they're decades long challenges that we're going to need to face. And, you know, back to that concept of, you um, 
you know, vision versus execution, right? It, I, I think I have ideas and concepts that um, can really help influence the, the direction of these challenges, but needing to implement them on the day-to-day -day and, and be incremental, taking the steps to get from, from here towards that long-term goal that we have, um, it's going to be in both of these cases, uh, you know, the 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 focus of my career, and there'll be a, a, enough work to continue working on these challenges for decades to come. So I feel very fortunate to be engaged in solving these two problems. It's certainly something that motivates me day to day um, because I, I I like the idea of, of working on something that matters, not just something that pays the bills. Yeah, the ultimate in a, in a career is working on something you have a passion for versus being in a job to make a paycheck. Yeah, look, I, I can I can understand where you're coming from. And in fact, that that second wicked problem around the aging of our populations is going to be a front and center issue for leaders in many industries, whether it's profit or non-profit, is how do you engage with an aging workforce and in government systems like in Australia, and I can't remember the year that the decision was taken, but our retirement age is creeping up from what used to be 65 to I think 67 now and pushing out it and possibly into 70 down the track. And so if that means that um, early 60s or mid 60s is not the retirement point, you're going to have a pool of very skilled um, but older workers and I have no concerns with that. In fact, in fact as someone who is aging, who is in his late 40s and seeing 60 a lot quicker than he's comfortable admitting that at some point you, you're going to have, to, you have to, as a leader, engage with what does the changing demographics of your workforce look like. And although I haven't dealt with the problem from the angle that you're coming at it from in a lot of the industry sectors that I've represented, the aging of those industries has been something that, no one really has the answer for, particularly if it's a small industry or it doesn't lend itself for universities to get involved and train new entrants. And so dealing with this is, is a lot more complicated than people might give it credit for. So definitely that that elephant analogy comes back in that um, if you had the instant fix, you wouldn't be talking to me, you'd be living it up somewhere and you've got the solution and, and hopefully humanity focuses on something else. So yeah, more more power to you. I think it's a it's a great way to plan for a career. And and my mind goes racing as to what are the implications, not just for leadership, but for other areas. But yeah, it's it's um you're at an interesting junction in where the world is at with this, because we really do need people to be the thinkers around this. But as I've been told by many that I've interviewed for the podcast is you can't have too many entrepreneurs in that pot because we need some people to do the doing of getting some things done. And um, that, 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 uh, that idea of too many bosses and not enough workers or not enough team members is something to keep uh, well in hand when dealing with this. So look, um, Avery, this has been leading somewhere for me and I'm glad we've sort of shape the conversation this way because before we decided to have this conversation you mentioned the word nomad i'd never heard the term before and, and why it came up i think is i was um i'll try and be uh not use uh, swear words here but i was gobsmacked with how many places you've lived 
and the places you do you apply your trade and, and do your work. So explain to me and for the listeners what a nomad is, if you can. Sure, yeah. The concept of being a digital nomad is um, certainly a, a hot concept now. It's become, um, you know, the, the population has swelled dramatically as a result of COVID and people being able to work remotely, companies giving employees the freedom to work from home. But actually, as people realized they could work from home, they realized, why do I need to stay home? Maybe I can go work on the beach um, in in Colombia instead of, uh, you know, staying in, in the cold up north uh, during the winter, something like that. So I I had the, the benefit of being what I call, you know, a uh, one of the old school nomads. I started uh, on this journey before COVID uh, happened, and that was as a result of one of the companies um, that I that I'm working on, You Capture, my uh, climate tech company. I was invited to participate in a startup accelerator program in Melbourne, actually in Australia. Um, that brought me to to Australia for a number of months, and so rather than hold on to my infrastructure in the U.S. And, and keep a rent and an apartment, things like that. I decided to just pack it all up, put my things in storage um, with kind of no expectation of coming back. And after a few months of, of being on the, on the road and, and, you know, really kind of embracing um, the ability uh, to travel and see the world uh, as, as an entrepreneur and, and founder of, tech companies, it's enabled me to work anywhere that I have a stable Wi-Fi connection. So that's actually been a challenge in, in some places. But if I've got good Wi-Fi, I can uh, connect and do what I need to do. And and now, you know, in today's world, the tools that we have available to us to connect with people, just as, as we're speaking half a world apart, um, you know, and across multiple time zones, if you're willing to to work at some odd hours of the day, uh, you can make this life of of you know traveling and accomplishing some of the things that you want to on a personal side, while still you know staying focused to uh, to the work that you're doing. Um, and that's been, I think, one of the challenge the challenges for me uh, as a digital nomad is realizing that you're not on vacation. Right. It, even though you might plunk down in a country and a new country and a new city and be really excited about all the things that you can see in that place. Uh, also needing to just wake up on Monday morning and get to work and answer your emails and, and hop on those calls. And so that's why I've tried to stay in places for a few months, um, definitely over one month. So it gives you the ability to uh, stay stay focused and do your work and not be so worried about missing the opportunity to see the place um, because, you know, at least you have enough weekends and nights where you can um, take that in all slowly. Um, and so it's, I'll, I'll say definitely a, a luxury and something that I've found to be, um, you know, one of the most uh, enjoyable phases of my life is these last five years as a digital nomad, um, getting to visit now, I think, over 30 or 40 countries um, during this period of time. Um, but but that, that journey has as well 
um, shifted a good bit in um, in in the first years of being a nomad. I had the idea that I would leave my plans open. You know, I I didn't know where I would go next, and that was exciting. It's exciting to have all of the opportunity and and you know think about uh, I could go here and I could go there. But what I realized over the years is that thinking, constantly thinking about where am I going to go next and looking at plane flights or looking at different Airbnb apartments, I was spending a lot of time uh, just in that process of thinking. And actually, um, it became somewhat of another job, somewhat of another <laughs> mental challenge that uh, was kind of overloading and overwhelming me. And so at the beginning of this year, I took a radically different approach and said, how far in advance can I plan? And, and I'm just going to do that and plan as many of, uh, of the next countries and visits that I want to go and, and see. And so I was able to book all the way out until actually just now, uh, my time in Istanbul, all the way back in January, which... Uh, had a few added benefits that, that I didn't even realize when I was doing it. First off, able to get better plane flights and pay cheaper prices for that and find better apartments to stay in, better selection, again, often at, at a lower price. Um, but coming back to that concept of leadership, the the kind of hidden uh, gain that I, I wasn't expecting is as a result of having my plans known, I was able to communicate that to the others that I've met on my travels, the other nomads that, that I've met, uh, as well as friends back in the States or in other countries, and tell them with confidence, I'm going to be in Lisbon in June, uh, or I'm going to be in England uh, in September. And by just in communicating that, it gave others the opportunity to build around that um, and so in a few of these places that I've been, I've had a lot of friends joining me there as a result of communicating uh, that vision and, and being a leader for my little tribe of digital nomads. Thank you for the kind way that you corrected me there. It was a digital nomad, not just a nomad. And I, I guess the concept is uh, there's not a cross purposes, but that that's fascinating in that. Um, you were part of a trend that was more highlighted during COVID. So the digital workforce, the, the work from home, I think I, I prefer digital actually to some of the other terminology that's out there, but it still creates a whole raft of questions around leadership and how do you deal with a um, geographically dispersed and digital nomad focus core of, of really good people that are out there that are happy potentially to do the work, but they don't have to live in the same country to do the work. Now, that's restricted to some industries because I've, I've had these conversations before where someone will say to me, well, there are some industries that it's very difficult to just be, um, have a digital connection, for example, in the medical field. Now, yes, telehealth is a thing, is a thing around the world and you can see a doctor and I've, I've engaged with that service and it's quite good, but... If I had something really quite devastating, like like a, say a cancer prognosis or something where you need to be in the room eyeballing your surgeon or specialist, you really don't want to be doing some of that over a digital 
platform and that that's that's a me thing but i understand the necessity for it and i'm fascinated that you said there's a tribe of digital nomads out there i've got to get more of you onto these podcasts to talk about your life experiences because i'm you know being that we're all human beings i'm sure that that digital nomad perspective around something like leadership has a unique tinge to it that others may not because you're not physically bound to a particular jurisdiction so you can go anywhere you like but still but still have the capabilities that someone might need in their business and so yeah it's it's unendingly fascinating and is is there a natural end point for the digital nomad do you think you'll do this until you stop working is this now something that's part of your dna as a founder yeah well, that that's certainly the question that people ask. It, you know, I think it's um, built into people's uh, you know consciousness that there has to be an end to this. That you have to settle down eventually. And I've been playing with that. I've asked myself that question many times. Where where does this stop, or is there an end? Um, for now, I, I know that there's still a number of places that I want to see and want to explore, countries that I haven't been to. I'm still certainly enjoying um, the, the 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 traveling around and meeting and exposing to different cultures. But one of the things that I've started to do a bit more is to revisit some of the places that I've liked and places that I've built friendships. Um I had the opportunity to go back to Buenos Aires, which is a city that I, I love um, in Argentina. Very fortunate. I happened to be there during the World Cup last year. So got to experience all the, the passion of Argentine, Argentina and their soccer victory, um, or football victory, as it is. Um, but for, for now, I think I plan to continue, um, you know, to continue traveling around. Um, but probably, as, as I just said, to revisit, have it be a mix of the places that I know um, and, and where I have friends, but also, you know, blending in uh, a few opportunities to see some new new countries and new cultures. I'll be headed to Cape Town, South Africa, um, after being in Istanbul, and, and that'll be a, a new place for me. So I'm excited to, to get down there. But Istanbul was a place that I was last year and, and made some really good friends and so um, was eager to get back and and to to foster those relationships more, um, you know, to show that you're not just somebody who's passing through, but also somebody that can be a lifetime lifelong friend um, for people. And, and now in, you know, in in with all the technology we have with with Instagram and WhatsApp and all these things. It's able to, I'm able to continue sharing my experience and, and um, participating in their experience, even though we may be, you know, oceans apart. Um, some of the relationships that I have have continued to grow over the years, even though, you know, we haven't um, stayed connected. What, what I think is, is interesting about that uh, digital nomad tribe, or almost what I might call the, the country of nomads, is there are a few hotspots on the map where it seems digital nomads have figured out this is, you know, a fantastic city for it. Um, Buenos Aires being one of them, Mexico City, Lisbon, Bali um, are, are some of the 
con uh, countries and, and cities that uh, that tribe seems to congregate in. And so I, I've been interested that each time I go to a new place or, or communicate that I'm going somewhere, I'll find that there's five or six other people that I've met along my uh, along my travels that are also going there or interested in going there. Um, and, and so while it's, you know, a, a really, we have the whole globe open to us, it also seems like there's, you know, a, a top 10 list of places that we all seem to congregate in. Yeah. Um, any hotspots in Australia? I, Melbourne is, you know, it comes up as one of the most livable cities in the world always. Uh, and I, I absolutely loved my time there. I think the challenge for a lot of people is the time zone thing, um, because, you know, if you're if you are a digital nomad, but you still need to have some accountability to American hours, Western hours, European hours. Uh, certainly a challenge being there was one that I grappled with a good bit and had, you know, quite a few very late nights in the office. I actually shifted my sleep pattern to sleep in the Australian afternoon because that was the time that uh, Europe and the Americas were, were shut down. So it was, um, I've needed to be adaptable to the time zone thing because I realized that I can't force others to, you know, to work around my somewhat extravagant lifestyle. Um, you know, so just shifting sleep patterns and, and being willing to sign on at all all times of the day. Yeah, I can understand that. Look, Avery, this has been an amazing chat. And uh, before I go, and I, I'd be um, I'd be kicking myself if I didn't ask you this one. And this is a, a theme that I put to all my guests is the nature versus nurture debate. Are leaders born or are they made? Well, you know, I think there's a lot of innate qualities that you might be born with um confidence and you know and, and a certain level of charisma um that you know some people probably just have naturally but there's a great opportunity to to hone those things or to refine uh those abilities as a leader and and that you know comes back to that humility concept that i was mentioning realizing that you might not ha you're not going to be perfect at these things from the starting point and recognizing how you can improve yourself as a leader or take on board other people's opinions and and take some of that negative feedback right take some of the or not constructive feedback as it is um, take that on board and, and be willing to to actually uh, hear that and, and listen to it and put some of those changes into practice um, that's been something that I've been, you know, working on and, and will continue to work on, uh, I'm sure, over over my entire career. But I do think that I had some of those um, abilities. I, I'll, I'll give myself credit for being quite confident. Um, and and so where I've what I've had to do is is take that confidence and soften it and realize um, that, you know, I, I don't always have the right answer. Or I need to there's there's smart people around me and I need to take in their opinions and trust in them um so i think that's that's what i've i've worked on as as a leader is to is to take some of those innate abilities that that i think i have uh and learn and adapt them and and not you know not be overly confident but also um realize there's always room for improvement that's an excellent uh note and quite a positive one to end the podcast so avery thank you for your time
Thanks so much, Eric. It was really a pleasure getting to meet with you and um, we'd love to hear from some of your viewers and listeners if they'd like to reach out. I always like to connect with new people, so please do. Thanks again for joining us on this podcast. I'd like to thank Avery for his time and insights into his leadership pathway and very interesting discussion around being a digital nomad. I appreciate your support of the podcast. If you like what you're hearing, please drop a like or better yet, subscribe to help us grow the channel. Have a great day, rest of your week, and we'll catch everyone on the next episode of Talking Leadership TV.